Chapter 12, Part 2 A dark light fell across the land, the moon hidden away by several layers of clouds. The lights of Helen's Hold could be made out from the mountain caves where the dark fae were stirring. One knuckled its way out of the cave, scampering up the cliff face, chittering and clicking its teeth, communicating across the hills. Its tufted ears twitched, waiting for a response. It snared a bat out of the sky as it flew by, catching it in the claws of its right foot. It held the small creature in its steel grip as it brought it towards its mouth. It bit down, severing the bat's head clean from its shoulders, then swallowed, bones and all. Blood spilt out of the bat's torso, pooling on the stone below, where more dark face circled and licked the salty fluid pooling around the stone. Minutes passed, until the dark fay perched on the cave opening heard a response, carrying across the wind. It sent off a series of responses, tossing the bat carcass down below where it was torn to shreds by the pack of creatures. The larger fay landed amidst the pack, screeching and cawing at them, until they fell back. Then it rattled off a litany of instructions to its gathered brood. When it was finished... Those assembled turned and bounded down the mountainside. As they darted between the trees and shrubs, more joined their number. They bounded down the old trails or sprang through the tree branches. Their primal clicks and squeaks picked up until the noises became an entity unto themselves, the harbinger of the march of the dark fay. The pack leaders came after them, barking commands in their guttural tongue guiding the mass of denizens down the mountains into the foothills. Animals fled before them, giving them a wide berth. Birds took flight, lest they be seized from their perches. Two of the pack leaders pushed ahead, tossing those dark fay unfortunate enough to be in the front of them out of their way as they barreled ahead of the pack. They came to a stop in the hills just outside of the valley where Helen's hold stood. They squealed and screamed when the sounds of alarm echoed out from the hold, sounded when some night guard heard the sounds of the impending arrival. The hillside grew with the twisted bodies of the dark fay until almost the entire warren was gathered on the hill, singing their own form of alarm. The younger ones, the warriors, bleated at the elders, urging them to unleash upon the hold, but the elders were patient. They clicked and growled back with the weight of authority, until the upstarts were called into submission. The elders turned their eyes back to the mountain and waited for the arrival of their god. It was not a long wait. Up in its home at the top of the mountain, the dark prince rose from his bestial throne. He stood to his full height, his twisted, mangled horns causing sparks to fly from the ceiling as they scraped. Corded muscles tensed and flexed as he strode forward, the black skin rippling with each stretch of a limb. Light disappeared into the obsidian pools on his face as he gazed down into the valley. The light seemed to dim even more around him, concealing the beast in a shroud of night. The dark prince took a deep breath, then exhaled, a cloud of gnats and flies swarming off into the cool night air. 
He strode down the mountains, covering several yards in a single stride, the ground shaking under the trampling of his cloven hooves. His tail whipped back and forth, side to side, cutting the air like a whip. He walked into the gathering of his followers, spreading his arms out wide, hands turned palms up, fingers clawing at the sky. Lesser dark fae wanted to convulsions, prostrating themselves at their lord's feet while others bowed their heads and prayed to the prince in their malevolent tongue. The prince smiled, dark ichor dripping from his cracked lips. He reached behind his back and withdrew a gigantic wooden club. It stood as tall as the prince, the head a gnarled mass of thorns and tree limbs. Moss and lichen grew from the shaft and handle, giving an eerie phosphorescence to the weapon. Blood-etched markings littered the implement from head to shaft. He surveyed his valley and was displeased. Too long had this structure been allowed to stand on his lands, festering like some diseased boil. Tonight, he would remove it from the face of the valley. Every structure destroyed, every body broken. The humans had gone too far last night. His scouts told him of the arrival of the Silver Knight, of the ghost with the crystal sword. The prince did not like ghosts. He would see that it was laid to rest. The prince hefted his club high into the air and screamed. The deep voice echoed off of the valley, sending echoes throughout. He leveled his club at the hold, pointing the gnarled head at the human infestation. The dark fae whipped themselves into a fervor, cavorting and cackling in glee before charging down the hill, their skeletal horns lowered and ready. The prince kept pace at the rear of the army, preparing to lead his children to righteous victory. Wake his lordship. The order had been given when the turret scout heard the call of the Dark Fae. They often attacked, but the reverberations coming off the valley walls was undeniable. This was no raiding party. This was war. It took a lot to scare the warriors of Hallen's Hold, but they knew death when they heard it. Death was out there, and it was coming for them. May your warmth embrace me. May your strength guide me and may your voice embolden me. I am but your humble servant, your sensual. May you act through me so those around me know your divine will, for I am your servant, and may your enlightened knowledge bring us out of the darkness into your glorious light. The man knelt in his bedroom. He was covered shoulder to foot in unblemished white armor. Thick heavy plates that would drive a lesser man to the ground but this man wore it like a second skin. Sir Roland, sir, his captain began. They are here, Thaddeus, I know, Roland said, rising from his spot on the floor. Yes, you heard the alarm, too. We must prepare. She told me, Thaddeus. She knew the prince would attack even before he did. It is not a coincidence that brought us to this battle, but providence. Of course, Roland, Thaddeus said, giving his liege a salute. What are your orders, sir? Tell Hallen to drop the internal walls now. Anyone who wants to fight needs to be outside their dwelling so the safety walls can come down. But, sir, no attacks ever breach the hold's outer wall. 
It will tonight. The gates will fly open and the hold will see the worst fight it's ever seen. And in the morning it will be over. And the dark fay will never trouble this region again. Yes, sir. Thaddeus had served under Roland Cross for five years, three of them before his pilgrimage and two since. The man had always been a beacon, a banner that others could rally around. His rise from squire from an unknown family to a knight, to knight lieutenant, to knight captain, had been swift, faster even than those who greased the wheels of promotion with leverage and coin. When Roland announced that he was leaving, that he had had a vision that he must see through, Thaddeus was the only knight that left with him. The rest thought him daft and a madman. No one in their right mind abandons that level of rank. King Geddon had been furious, but he could not sway Roland, and so he had banished him, never to return. Thaddeus had suffered exile alongside his friend. What he saw and experienced on those travels he swore never to speak of, but they changed him forever. On their return, after Roland returned from the cave where he had his vision and emerged with his sword and armor, Thaddeus would follow Roland to the ends of Grey. He had never been a religious man, but he believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that this celestial maiden, this one god, had gifted Roland these holy symbols so that he could serve her will. He stayed by his side when they returned to Bothwell when Roland had surprised many by asking for his position as knight captain back, and even more surprised when the king granted it. Geddon had never been known for his understanding, but he gave Roland a wide berth, even allowed him his own retinue of soldiers when he asked for it, saying that he now served too. And so now, when Roland asked him the unusual, he put his faith in Roland. Thaddeus traveled from Roland's room outside to the streets, where he ran the block to the hold and entered, informing Hallen's advisors of Roland's orders. There was bickering. Dropping the interior gates was, the, was a one-way affair. It would take man-hours and many repairs to raise the series of gates that surrounded the many buildings back up. Thaddeus must have sounded deficient to the assembled council, repeating the same order no matter what the reason they threw his way. It continued like this for many minutes. We can drop the walls if the gate show signs of being breached, one of the men said, a short, balding man who seemed to have a constant nervous twitch. Yes, yes, I agree with Lemon. We've seen these attacks many times. I think your lord is just overreacting, another man spoke up. Sirs, Roland does not overreact. He acts. I appreciate you taking my words under advisement, but it's not advice. Roland will order it be done when he gets here. He's not asking. The gates will hold, the balding man said again. No, your gates will fall like autumn leaves during a harsh wind. They will scatter in all directions and be gone before you even notice. The voice belonged to Roland. He strode into the hall, his white armor brightening the room, the candlelight reflecting off of it, and the golden etchings of the one god. The torchlight played along the crystal blade of his greatsword causing beams of light to dance along the walls and ceiling with every stride. Lord Roland, be reasonable. We do not ignore your thoughts, but we have fought these demons off many times, while well, you have fought them only the once. We need not drop the guard walls. 
Lemon, I am not concerned with your coin or your work. I will personally help lift the walls once the battle is over. Hard work is what makes us who we are. If the walls are not dropped now, the casualties will be more than I can bear. But Lord Roland... Silence, Layman. The speaker was Hallen. He had entered the room whilst Layman and Roland spoke back and forth. He wore the uniform of a watchman, though he displayed his medals from previous battles. His skin was tanned and weathered, like leather that had seen many seasons. He walked with a mild limp as he approached the council. He ran a hand through his gray hair, looking at each man. I invited you all years ago so you could help me turn a struggling ramshackle of buildings into a source of commerce that could keep itself alive, Hallen said, speaking to the gathered advisors. But I also came here back with a singular purpose, to make the pass safe. I've spent thirty years keeping it safe. I am not a young man anymore. I can't fight for the cause that set me on this road so many years ago. Hallen started to cough. He held the edge of his council table for support, coughing so hard he shook with each breath. It's all right, he said, clearing his throat, as one of the attendants came forward to help him. He gave the man an assuring look, then took his seat at the table. Roland took a seat and joined Hallen. Layman looked around, then sat down, rejoining his fellow advisors. You say you can end this constant battle, Roland? Can you? Hallen asked straight out. It ends tonight, whether or not you heed my word. The only thing that changes is how many innocent people have to die, Roland said. Hallen had met Roland years ago, before he was a knight captain, when Hallen himself had outranked Roland. The man who stared across the table at him now was not the same person. He could feel the man's eyes boring into him, into his soul, but it felt warm and comforting like he had been judged and found worthy. Drop the inner gates, Hallen commanded. I'll hear nothing to the contrary, he added, seeing some raised hands from his council. I wish to live to see my dream fulfilled. If dropping the interior gates is the only price I need pay, I pay to have it fixed five times over. Roland stood up and turned, exiting the hall, Thaddeus following on his footsteps. You know they only worry for their city. They do not mean to oppose you, Thaddeus said, walking beside his commander. I know, Thaddeus, I know. They are wound up in their love of material things like wealth. They cannot see how simple a sacrifice must be made for the cause. The worst among them worry because they're afraid the war will end tomorrow. Sire, I speak of the council, not of Hallen. Hallen brought the council here to help make money so he could see his dream through. But that commerce was built on the fact that people need the hold to survive. When the Dark Fae are no longer a threat, people will no longer need to stay the night at the hold. I'm sure the town will survive, but many will leave over time, watching their profits dwindle from fewer and fewer customers. I never thought of that, Thaddeus said. Is there no other way? Well, we could not kill the Dark Fae, Roland said as they made their way to the barracks where his men were stationed. Let's not be silly, Lord, Thaddeus said with mock hurt in his voice. 
Things change, Thaddeus. It's the way of the world. Things come, things go, and sometimes things that left came back again. There are many places in the realms that need protecting. If that truly matters to these people, they will seek out new places. You can be a tough man to follow, sir. That is one of my burdens. But I have good men like you to help me bear them, Thaddeus. Come, we have preparation still to do. And I can hear the baying of those devils. They will be at the wall soon. Roland went about preparing his men, giving instructions and where to position themselves. By the time they marched out from the barracks, a number of interior walls had already come down, isolating many homes, merchants, and tradesmen. A handful of taverns and homes of military-driven citizens were still up, their inhabitants debating which side of the wall they wanted to be on. Watchmen ran through the city streets, lighting torches and street lamps. Roland commanded a handful of his men, those skilled with the crossbow, to position themselves along the walls with the rest of the watch, and the rest were to follow him and wait at the front gates that led out of the city. He withdrew the great crystalline sword from his back, the crossbowmen stepped forward and stuck out their crossbows and bandoliers. Roland walked the line of men, reciting the one god's chant and touching each with the tip of his sword. With that done, he wished the men speed and accuracy, and sent them to the walls. Thirty to forty watchmen patrolled each wall, manning various machines of war. Hot oil was readied, and mounted ballista were prepped and aimed. A half-dozen or so of Roland's guards joined them. Men whispered to one another, spotting the lines of the Dark Fay out in the fields, though not in range yet of the Hold's artillery. It was a sea of evil that was priming to crash itself into the breakers. It, it doesn't end, one worried guard said to the men around him. They watched as the denizens came forward, and yet still they spilled from the hills and mountains. The men watched as the dark fay encircled the hold, still hundreds of yards away. Not one of them have even seen numbers this big, swearing that every denizen in the lands must have come out tonight. They could feel the tension in the air. The plague of evil would soon be upon them, and daylight was many hours away. Jenner made his way out of the inn up to street level. The bartender stopped him at the top of the steps, warning him that the order had been given to drop the interior walls, that he should return inside. Jenner smiled and assured the man he would be all right, and to keep an eye on his guests. The man nodded and told Jenner to take care of himself. Jenner's side was still a bit sore, but he had felt much better. Helen's Hold's tailor was a physician and magier who specialized in field battle. He had been able to stitch Jenner up and mend the wounds, though he just told Jenner to take it easy. Jenner laughed, guessing what he was about to do was not what the physician had ordered. He jogged along the street until he came across more citizens, most dressed for war. He asked some which direction they were headed, and followed along until he reached the gates, where he found the man he was looking for. "'Ever a beacon of light you are, Roland,' Jenner said, making his way toward the knights and his growing band of fighters." Roland turned his head to look in Jenner's direction, his eyes serious, but a hint of a grin catching the corners of his mouth. I did not expect to see you here, I must be honest, 
Roland addressed his old soldier. Must you, Jenner chided. It's the hub of Calment. I come here often. I meant on the battlefield, Roland continued. Am I not welcome? Any man or woman that will raise sword or spell with us is welcome, Roland said, gesturing with his sword to the throng of people gathering to him. It was impressive, Jenner thought, as volunteer soldiers went. He estimated a third of the population was here, not counting those joining up on the walls. So, what's the plan? Jenner asked, walking over to Roland and his generals. Roland regarded Jenner and looked as if he was about to say something, then shook his head and pointed to the gates. The enemy will breach the doors and flood in in an attempt to overwhelm us. We will kill as many of the little demons as we can, and I will kill their prince. How do you know their prince will show? Jenner asked, although he already knew the answer. She has told me, Roland said. Sheer luck, still taking orders from the lady upstairs. You should invite her down for tea sometime. I'd love to sit and chat. Your flippancy was only ever rivaled by your insubordination. I see time hasn't changed much, Roland said. He sighed, looking at Jenner, but the feeling passed. I thought you believed in the one god. I do, according to the old scriptures. The one god was a man. She's a god. Does the gender she chooses to wear question her reality? I would question anyone who claims to speak to a god, Jenner said. Gentlemen, please, Thaddeus interjected, stepping between the two men. Ah, Thad, it brings great joy to my heart to know you still travel with Roland. It gives me great hope. Thank you, sir, Thaddeus said, offering Jenner a curt salute. None of that, Thad, none of that. You know I'm not a military man anymore, Jenner said. And that, my sir, fills my heart with great hope. Thaddeus returned with a benevolent smile. A truce, then, a truce, Jenner said, raising his arms in mock surrender. I come to lend my sword to your cause tonight, and will follow your directions, Roland. But I need to speak with you after. Something grows rotten in Calment, and the stench wafts all the way from Bothwell. I never took you for an upholder of justice, Jenner, Roland began. But it's all right. I pray that is my only surprise. Let us talk on your matter in the morning. Thank you, Sir Roland, Jenner said, giving the man a quick salute and a smile. Roland turned his attention back to those gathered around him. He gave out orders, directing his men to flank the gates, the city military behind them, and the citizenry behind them. Then, Roland positioned himself several yards back from the gate, standing dead center to the entrance. Jenner took up position with the rest of the commoners. He saw plenty of warriors and tradesmen wielding swords and axes, piecemealed together in odd bits of armor. He counted a handful of magir and sorceling weapons with whatever aid they could. Jenner pulled out his own weapon, asking a nearby Lenise woman dressed in the robes of a magir if she had anything that would help. She spoke in a thick Lenise. Jenner had a hard time making it out, but he smiled and nodded. She snapped her fingers, and her hand wreathed in flames. Then she shook it with another snap, and the flames died down and went out. She gave him a grin that had a few teeth missing. He laughed and wished the woman well. 
He looked at her wrinkle-lined face, then looked around, surprised by the number of older people that had decided to pick up arms tonight. Great night for a story, isn't it? Jenner turned around to see Havlin and his stage accomplice standing a few feet behind them. Havlin had a short, curved sword in one hand and a short knife with three blades in the other. The heavyset man had exchanged his gaudy clown suit for loose-fitting pants and a vest. He clenched his fists, seeming to be in deep concentration. Your friend looks to have uh, forgotten his weapons, Jenner said to the man. Nah, he is the weapon, Havlin said, pointing to his friend. I'm the last person to accuse anyone of bravery, but I'm surprised to see the two of you here. Lost a bet, Havlin said. With who? With him, Havlin said, gesturing at him Brunswick. What was the bet? That I could stay quiet longer than he could. Didn't he take a vow of silence? Jenner said with a laugh. Well, yeah, but it wouldn't be much of a challenge otherwise, would it? Havlin said with a laugh of his own and some gusto. Their conversation was cut short when the shrill cry of the dark fay rose into the night sky. People looked around, expecting combat, the cry bringing them back into the reality of the situation. Havlin gave Jenner a nod, then nudged on Brunswick, who opened his eyes and squatted into a charging stance. Jenner looked at the Lenise Majeure to see her chanting, her hands deep in her pockets. Jenner looked and saw Roland, kneeling in the dirt, his sword point driven into the earth before him, resting his hands on the hilt, praying. Soldiers along the ramparts drew aim on the approaching horde. Men held their shots, watching the demons trample closer and closer. The wave surged forward, preparing to crash. Then the click of crossbows and ballista went off, and the battle began. It started off much like any other skirmish Helen's hold had repelled in the past. The Dark Fae crashed into the walls on all sides, surrounding the place. Ballista launched into the masses, knocking the creatures for a loop, spinning them around and throwing them into others. The crossbowmen let loose their bolts, the blessed tips slicing into the thick skin of the Fae, causing them to shriek and fall back. But wherever one fell, the ones behind sprang over the collapsing body. The attacks killed, but made no dent. When the first wave crashed into the wall, the guards heaved on the vats of boiling oil. By the time they had them tipped, the second and third waves of Dark Fay had climbed on their brethren's back, scuttling atop the living ladder. The creatures screamed, but pushed forward. Seconds later, flaming bolts were launched into the sea of bodies, and flames sprang to life, lining the base of the hold in golden fire. The demons fell, scrambling away from the wall, twitching and spasming on the ground. The prince saw all of this, the charge, the assault, and the defense, and laughed. He sprang towards the wall, crushing errant demons underfoot in his haste. Where he neared the wall, the flames died and withered, extinguished by his aura. He marched near the perimeter, ordering the dark fay onward, working them into a frenzy that drove them faster. Soldiers on the wall aimed and fired their ballista. At first they cheered as one collided, knocking the prince from his feet. But he stood back up, brushing the shattered wood from his shoulder, unscathed. The crossbow bolts bit into his skin, which he plucked out like gnats and discarded. 
The prince steeled his gaze upon the ramparts and pointed his free hand at the wall, chanting in his ancient tongue and motioning along the wall. Frost and icicles burst from the stone, impaling men or causing them to lose their footing. The lucky ones fell in place. The unlucky ones plummeted to the ground, smashing against the stone, and then were torn apart by the fay. Screams of dying men joined the shrieks of the demons, adding to the knight's chorus. Once he cleared the rampart, the prince pointed his hand up at the base of the wall, then chanted anew, drawing his fingers up. A blanket of frost sprung from the ground, forming a column of ice up the wall, which the demons scampered like a kid climbing a tree. Soon the dark fae were flooding the tops of the wall, spilling into the defenses. The prince cackled and made his way around the walls until he came upon the gate. He barked an order and the dark fae fell back, giving the prince a wide berth to either side. The prince stepped forward until he was yards from the gate and brought his great club before him, gripping it in both hands. He chanted again, cold currents of air coalescing around his club. Cries of alarm went up. A magir made his way to the wall facing the front, tossing great bolts of lightning at the fiend. But lesser demons threw themselves in the way, sacrificing themselves for their lord. The prince raised his club high, his chanting reaching a crescendo. Then he took a step forward and swung hard, bringing the club down into the gates. The head of the club struck the gate and continued through, shredding the wood like paper. The doors flew open, timbers hanging limp from hinges as the club smashed into the ground, shearing an opening. Center sections of the wood went flying forward into the hold. Some bounced and pinioned to the left and right, decimating ranks of soldiers. More pieces flew straight on, where Roland was standing. He held his sword back, tipped down, and stuck his other arm forward, fingers up, palm out. The sections of gate seemed to hit some invisible barrier and turn aside. In the next second, Dark Fay were rampaging into the streets, pouring through the gates like water through a punctured dam. Roland's knights stepped up to meet them, swords clashing against the beasts. They fought hard, but were pushed back, the tide too strong to avert. Demons spilled past them into the ranks of the city watch and citizenry. The prince took a deep breath and then leaned forward, exhaling. Swarms of insects flooded from the prince's mouth, descending on the chaos. The ravenous flies attacked human and fae alike, but the dark fae's thick skin foiled the bites of the insects, while the defenders screamed in pain sharp needles and pinchers finding their exposed flesh, darting between cloth and joints and armor. The front line fell as the watch and knights clawed at their armor to get to the diseased swarms and fell victim to the dark fae as they overtook them. Roland charged forward, brandishing his sword, swinging left and right, bringing the blade to bear, clearing a large swath as he moved towards the prince. Demons fell, the blade clefting them in half, or lopping off an arm and a leg. The dark face sputtered on the ground as their life force left their bodies. When the swarm moved towards him, Roland gripped the hilt of his sword in both hands and held it close. As the gnats approached, they fell dead, passing some intangible barrier and falling lifeless. Men rallied to him, 
expunging the insects from their bodies as they pressed around their savior. The demons moved beyond the gate, spilling into the different streets that led into the city. Citizens moved to meet them where they could, harsh conflicts breaking out all over the hold. Jenner found himself moving fast, chasing the fight wherever it led to. He fought alongside a number of local residents, stabbing in with his rapier when possible. The thick skin and metallic horns of the beast proved too thick for his blade, but he found if he aided others, he was able to distract them so that a heavy blow from a maul, or a weighted axe head, could finish them off. And when his allies were hard-pressed, he could thrust his blade into an open dark fey mouth, skewering their soft insides. They were outnumbered to the point where people caught by themselves were simply overrun, trampled to death under the wave of demons. The citizens formed up into blocks, fighting back to back, anything they could do to bolster their ranks. They never tell you about days like these at the academy, Havlin said as he parried an attack, knocking one of the demons to the ground. Umbrunzoi stepped forward, crushing the beast's neck with his heavy foot. Ah, where did you study? Jenner asked, falling in beside Umbrunzoi, so they both flanked the big man. Zanhe's spheres and roan, Havlin said, smashing the hilt of his dagger into the face of a demon, then kicking it hard in the knee. Its legs wobbled and it fell forward, screaming and kicking. Umbrunzoi was on it like a great hunting cat, gripping its head and neck in his hands and giving it a violent twist. The creature's cries silenced. Is that the school south of the Yin's palace? Jenner asked, as he stabbed several times in rapid succession, putting nearby demons off balance, pressing forward and knocking them on their backs. Two demons ran in to jump to Umbrunzwe when he bent over, but Havlin and Jenner, working together, fended them back. Umbrunzwe gripped one of the broken demons by the legs and began swinging it around like a flail. The horns tore deep into the flesh of its companions, sending them crashing to the ground. No, to the north. Meili's warded dancer is to the south, Havlin answered, managing to drive his two blades into the eyes of an unlucky demon who was paying more attention to the large man beside him. Oh, right, my mistake, Jenner continued, the two men bantering back and forth as they repelled the demon spawn. A sneaky dark fay made it through the onslaught, catapulting itself at Umbrunsway. The man smiled, flexing his muscles, and threw his chest out. The little critter smacked into the man's large stomach and went flying, like being hit by a runaway cart. He face-palmed another demon that ventured too close, pressing down, driving the creature to its knees and snapping its neck in the process. Working together, the two men were able to both divert distracted demons to Umbrunsway, who would either crush, slam, or stomp the little creatures before it knew what happened, and were also able to keep the Dark Fae from swarming him while he finished off their siblings. The trio found themselves backing into an alleyway, trying to minimize the amount of space the demons could use against them. A dozen or so followed them into the passage, the rest swarming by, causing havoc down other rows. They worked their way backward, taking their time, letting Umbrunsway pick ones off when an opening presented itself. They rounded a corner into a dead end, but by then only four remained. Havlin and Jenner took both down, leaving two for Umbrunsway, which he dispatched with ease, using his demon flail to hammer one against a wall, and then wringing the other one's neck until it stopped moving. Handy little things, eh, Jenner said, 
knocking on the steel alleyway wall. It lay level with the ground, and rose a little over ten feet, covering all the doors and entryways on the ground level. Umbrunsway moved to leave the alleyway, but Havlin reached a hand out, grabbing him by the shoulder. Hold on there, big guy. I know you're itching for a fight, but some of us less brutal types need to catch our breath, Havlin said, looking at Jenner. Just a minute or so. I dare say the fight's going to leave any time soon, Jenner agreed, taking stock of his wounds. Nothing worrisome, but a dozen or so minor cuts and scrapes hurt after a while. Havlin pulled out some strips of cloth, bandaging the bloodier cuts on himself, while Umbrunsway pulled out some and attended to Jenner. You two are quite resourceful. Well, you have to be when you live on the road, Havlin said. And you, Jenner said, looking at Umbrunsway. You're an excellent fighter. I don't see a scratch on you. Umbrunsway smiled, but Havlin just chuckled. It's some mind-over-matter one-god witchery. He bleeds just like you or me, Havlin said. Umbrunsway gave him an unhappy look, but then turned and smiled at Jenner shrugging his shoulders and making a quick sign of the One God. A lot of people are turning up that follow the One God these days, Jenner commented. Uh, it's all the rage, especially with the nobility. Tales of the One God have been my most popular stories of late, Havlin said. What stories do you know of the One God? Jenner asked. Well, of the man himself, none, but of his loyal servant Tom Brunsway, many, Havlin sang with a smile. Jenner joined the man in his mirth. Umbrunsway looked at the two of them and then tapped his foot, pointing to the exit of the alleyway. Back to it, then, Jenner said. Umbrunsway nodded, and Havlin shrugged, drawing his dagger and sword. Together, the three of them headed back out into the melee going on in the streets. Back out at the gates, Roland and his few remaining knights formed up into a wedge and began making forward progress toward the prince while Roland at the head. The main host of the Dark Fay army had poured into the hold, and only the stragglers now remained, who the knight was able to tear through with expert precision. Two knights charged in to flank the great prince, but it did little good. The prince's reach gave him the advantage. He brought his club to bear as one knight swung in with his sword, the weapon's blade biting deep into the wood. The other knight stepped in and slammed his blade down on the prince's foot, but the metal bent where it struck skin. The prince laughed, whipping his club over his head, yanking the sword from the knight's arm and tossing him to the ground in the process. The prince then raised his foot and slammed it down on the knight's back, piercing his armor, grinding his hoof into the dirt, making a hole in the man's chest, killing him. He then hefted his club and brought it around in a wide arc, taking a few dark fay with it, as it swept to the side and caught the other knight, tossing him into the air to slam against the outer wall of the hold, before crumbling to a pile at the base. Roland broke from the ranks of his knights, closing the distance between himself and the prince. The great demon cackled, bringing his club up and then down in a large arc. Roland gripped the hilt of his sword in one hand, resting the blade against the other, and raised it over his head stopping in his tracks. He braced as the club impacted on the flat of the blade, bouncing away into the air. Even with his impressive strength, Roland was driven to one knee from the force of the blow. The prince laughed again, bringing his club in front of himself, 
moving it side to side as Roland changed the grip on his blade, swinging it left and right with one hand. The prince blocked each swing, Roland's sword taking a chunk out of the club with each parry. The prince inhaled and leaned in, letting forth a deep yell. Roland brought his other hand forward, brandishing a medallion of the One God. He invoked her name and a beam of radiant white light burst from the amulet, striking the demon in the face. Smoke rose from where the light touched the prince, and it whipped its head back, letting loose a roar that rattled rooftops and shook the ground. It clutched at its face, burned tissue covering its eyes and mouth. Bow your head, and I shall offer you a quick death, prince of demons, Roland shouted, his voice carrying over the din of battle. The demon chanted in response, blue crystals forming around his body, until he was wrapped in a skin of ice. Then it raised its club in defiance and came forward. Roland nodded, taking his sword in both hands and offering up a quick prayer to the One God, touching the crystalline sword to his forehead, then moved forward to meet the prince. Back in the streets, the defenders of Hallen's Hold were doing their best to keep their ground. Jenner, Havilland, and Umbrunsway had formed up with a group of watchmen outside the entrance to Hallen's residence, the lone building whose interior wall had not been dropped. It served as command post, and where wounded could seek refuge if they needed it. The three of them clustered by the door along with a number of watch, who took turns darting in and out of the doorway, one stepping in when another fell, or was too tired to continue. Ugh, they just keep coming! Jenner sighed, driving his rapier into the eye socket of an ambitious dark fay. Beside him, two watchmen with bardiches harried a number of attackers. Fire in the hole! Havlin said from behind, pointing a hand out into the sea of death. Jenner and the others looked to see what was going on. Around the block, down the main street, a fiery mass came into view. At first they thought it was some new demon but the demons were running from it. The figure twisted and lurched, arms outstretched. Moments later, explosions ripped through the demon ranks where the hands gestured, intense conflagrations erupting. As it moved closer, Jenner could make out the dark skin and features of a Majir woman he had spoken with earlier. The woman's robe was wreathed in flame, but she seemed to carry on unharmed. A group of demons attempted to attack her, but she pointed her hands out, palms down, thumbs together, and a torrent of liquid fire shot from her fingertips, drenching the creatures in the incendiary spray. The ones in the front collapsed, their bodies melting under the hot fluid. The demons behind screamed and kicked on the ground, the fire splattering their bodies, burning holes through shoulders, arms, and feet. "'Well, let's not let her have all the fun, men,' one of the generals of the watch shouted. "'Form up!' Five watchmen, joined by Umbrunsway, made their way out into the open streets, beating back demons as they made their way towards the woman. The Majir brought her hands out in front of her to her sides, finally swinging them behind her back, fanning the flames on any demon that strayed near. The host of creatures fled to get out of the way of the emblazoned woman, running past and around the watch, some falling prey to easy openings that the warriors took advantage of. Come with us, we could use your help at the hold, one of the watchmen offered. Akana, for the nick of ma, she said to them, 
turning her gaze down another street where the dark fae were battling against pockets of citizens. She cackled and ran off after them, whipping her arms out, explosions going off on the ground and against the walls, announcing her arrival. She's mad, one of the watch said, but Umbrunsway stepped from their ranks, turned and nodded, and then chased after the woman. He knows what he's doing, right? Jenner asked, watching the whole exchange from the entrance. More so than I ever do, Havlin responded. The arrival of the inflamed Majir caused the Dark Fae population to dwindle in their immediate area. The Watch sent out a few small bands to start looking for survivors and wounded, to usher them back to Hallen's residence. Jenner and Havlin stepped back from the entrance, letting two other men step up. They took a few steps and half sat, half fell to the ground, their energy spent. Have you ever had one of those weeks, Jenner said to Havlin. He laid back and caught his breath. Every week is one of those weeks, Havlin said. Oh, I pray not, good sir. I pray not. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 apiece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.